On this Father's Day morning, we have chosen as our title, Our Father Who Art on Earth. We have directed your attention to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Keep your finger there, and if you would like, get your finger in the 128th Psalm as well, for we will be going there in a few moments. I would like you as men to consider the hammer this morning. It keeps its head. It does not fly off the handle. It keeps pounding away. It finds the point and then drives it home. It looks at the other side and thus often clinches the matter. It is the only knocker in the world that does any good. We need men like the hammer. E.M. Bounds, who has written several books, particularly about prayer, said one time, man is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. That is really the heart and soul of my message and my feeling today. Man is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. On the Johnny Carson show recently, Dr. Robert Schuller was asked, what is your greatest success? Your books? The Crystal Cathedral? Your 10,000-member church? Bob's response was, my greatest success is my family. I have succeeded in many areas of my life. But if I fail as a father, I would be a failure at life. To become a father is easy. Being a father is a lot harder. We are living in a society that has been affected by the lack of men taking their godly position. If you will look at the Bible from Genesis and on through, you will discover the place of a man is that of a priest of his household, a priest of his family. To become a father is easy, but being a father is a lot harder. Charles Francis Adams, the 19th century political figure and diplomat, kept a diary. One day he entered this line. Went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, whose name was Brooke, also kept a diary. On that same day in his diary, he wrote this line. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. Our Father who art on earth frequently shapes a child's attitudes toward our Father who art in heaven. There are two questions in my message today that I want to drive home to our hearts. The first is, who is the man that God blesses? In this passage in Ephesians 6, the Father is spoken of as one who should be honored and obeyed. But in verse 4, a direct commandment is given to the Father. 
Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The man who God blesses is the man who does that, who puts the family before his own interests, before his own pursuits. The one who puts his children in a priority place to train and to motivate for the things of God. That's the man God blesses. The man God blesses is in verse 10 and 11, who is strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, who puts on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand. Every morning in our 6 a.m. prayer meeting, we literally put on the armor of God. We put on our loins, truth, We put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our heart. We put on the good news shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take in our hand the shield of faith. We put on our head the helmet of salvation that we may think right. And we take in our hand the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the man God blesses. In Psalm 128, a psalm that is especially written to men, I would like you to note other things that God blesses. The psalm begins with the word blessed. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So there you have two very important points right off the top. The man who fears the Lord, that does not mean Being afraid of the Lord, it means being in awe of him, having a reverence for him. And then a man who walks in the Lord's ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. A man who is energetic, a man who knows how to work, a man who does not expect somebody to always hand it to him, but a man who with his labor supports his family. That man, the Bible says, shall be happy and it shall be well with him. Then it talks about his wife. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. In the very center, that picture of love and order, that beautiful wife who blesses the man. And then his children are mentioned like olive plants all around your table. I kind of pushed my chair back just to envision that. I saw the table all nicely spread. The silverware was in place. The food was nicely placed on the table. And all around were these olive plants sitting there ready to partake of the meal. His children are like green, budding olive plants. That's the man that God blesses. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Oh, the blessing of grandchildren. And he lives long enough to see them. And even great-grandchildren. I have a few men in this congregation who hold that over my head regularly. I may be a grandfather, but I'm not a great-grandfather. Charlie Fight and... Walter Hansen remind me of that all the time. But I thank God that I have seen my grandchildren. I thank God for my favorite piece of poetry, too. 
I've seen the lights of Paris. I've seen the lights of Rome. But the sweetest sight I've ever seen are my kids' taillights taking the grandkids home. You have to be a grandparent to appreciate that. The man that God blesses. What is the measure of a man's spirituality? I want you to know it's not his public profession, but it is that which takes place in his home his integrity and his considerateness in the home. That's where the rubber really meets the road. That's why Bob Schuler said, if I fail in my family, I have utterly failed. You can preach to great crowds. You can have big business going on. But if you lose your family, you've lost everything that's meaningful in life. That's why it's so difficult for me to understand today the breakup of the American family, how men can just split and women can just run and the kids are left to try to decide which weekend they go with mom and which weekend they go with dad and the trauma of it and the tragedy of it we are now experiencing in our society. What is important is what a man is like in his home. The Bible mentions fathers, in case you didn't know it, much more than it mentions mothers. I don't know why that is, unless maybe we men need it more than mothers. But it's a fact. Somebody said a boy loves his mother, but he follows his father. Maybe that's why God gave so much more instruction to fathers than mothers. Edgar Guest wrote, if I don't help my boy Bud to grow up right, I'll call myself a failure. He joined Bob Schuler in that same feeling. The modern problem is highlighted by Dr. Tell Forrest, a psychiatrist for the William Allenson Foundation, who wrote, when fathers do not take leadership roles, boys so often are overcome with femininity and take on an exaggerated masculine behavior to conceal it. A reversal in sex roles is happening in many homes. The result is psychological and sociological problems unprecedented in man's history. We have a generation literally out of control we have homosexuality like a river running through society. We have AIDS. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over and continue on side two.
have all kinds of difficulties mentally to deal with. Billions of dollars are being spent to cope with the dropouts of life because the home has disintegrated and fathers are so busy doing their thing that they have not done the thing that God has commissioned them to do. No wonder the Bible talks so much to fathers. R.A. Torrey, the prominent minister and writer, received a letter one day asking him to visit a particular woman who was a principal of a school. So he did. During the conversation, she made this statement. I don't believe anything. I don't even read the Bible because it seems wrong for me to read it and disbelieve everything in it as I do. But after she had talked with Dr. Torrey for some time, he noticed that tears were coming to her eyes, and he asked, Why are you crying? She said, Oh, there is one thing I can't get over, and that is my father's life. He was a minister of the gospel, and whenever I think of the holy life he lived, I feel there must be something in Christianity. I can't get over his life. She returned to the Christ of her youth as Dr. Torrey prompted her to testify of one thing she could never get over, my father's life. And it drove her back to the cross and the Christ of the cross. Children are affected by their memories of fathers. What kind of memories are you giving them is the question of this hour. The sincere father asks, how am I doing as an example? There's no room for phony fathers. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Be thou an example of the believers. That's a word to fathers today. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity, be thou an example to the believers. What kind of an example am I as a father? Perhaps there are no more piercing words than in a poem titled, I want to be like my dad. Well, what are you going to be, my boy, when you have reached manhood's years? A doctor, a lawyer, or actor great, moving throngs to laughter and tears? But he shook his head as he gave reply in a serious way he had. I don't think I'd care to be any of them. I want to be like my dad. He wants to be like his dad. You men, did you ever think as you pause that the boy who watches your every move is building a set of laws? He's molding a life you're the model for, and whether it's good or bad depends on the kind of example set to the boy who'd like to be like his dad. Would you have him go everywhere you go, have him do just the things you do? and see everything that your eyes behold and woo all the gods you woo? When you see the worship that shines in the eyes of your lovable little lad, could you rest content if he gets his wish and grows to be like his dad? It's a job that none but yourself can fill. It's a charge you must answer for. It's a duty to show him the road to tread ere he reaches his manhood's door. It's a debt you owe for the greatest joy on this old earth to be had this pleasure of having a boy to raise who wants to be like his dad. Yes, there is a man that God blesses, the man who lives the life before his family. 
I have said this from this pulpit before, and I will probably say it a lot more in the future. If you want to have a son or a daughter that doesn't smoke cigarettes, then you quit. If you want to have children who don't know how to drink, then you stop. If you want to have children who tell the truth at home and in the public, then you tell the truth in both areas. Don't cheat on your income tax and brag about how you got out of a few bucks. If you don't want young people who hit the town and feel that the strip is where they want to be, then you'll be sure to set an example before them that that's the very thing you abhor and would like to keep away from. You want to be like their their dad. If you want to have a drug-free family, then in heaven's name, stop popping the pills yourself and depending on things yourself. There's only one way to counteract the tragedies of our time that are all around us, and that's for those of us who are men to stand up and be men of God in example, in integrity. I was looking at a magazine this week, and there was a cartoon, a group of women singing, little girl here, and church windows in the background and a hymn book in their hand and they're just really into this song and the caption is, Rise up, O men of God. All women singing. And it is a cry, I think, from women. They don't want to take the role that they've been thrust into. God didn't give them the role to make the living for the family and to lead the way in spiritual things, to always demand the Bible study and the prayer and to get to church. That was man's responsibility. The man that God blesses is the man who will assume that role and thrust himself into an example before them and before the world. You want to be the man that God blesses? Read Psalm 128. Read it carefully. And pay attention to Ephesians 6. The second question of my message is, how can men maximize their opportunities? I would like to talk to you not as a pastor or a minister today, man. I'd like to talk to you just as a father and a husband and a grandfather. If you could take what I'm going to say in that light, it would help us a lot. Just man to man, how to maximize your opportunities. There are three basic things that I see as a father that is necessary in order for this to happen. One, involve yourself with your children and with your grandchildren. There should be no reluctance to involve yourself with them. Men are running to and fro, involving themselves in everything but the one thing that will give them real happiness and joy, their family. We've got to stop, men. We've got to pause. We've got to get involved with them. We've got to let them know that what concerns them concerns us. What interests them interests us. There are three things that I suggest. Number one, you need to play with them. Get down on the floor and romp a little bit. 
let your hair down or take it off and put it on the shelf if that's where you are. But learn how to play with them. Have fun with them. We still have fun when we get together, my boys. And I, we have a lot of fun. And the grandkids now just add to that fun. Last night after our men's prayer meeting, Rick, Kathy, and the three came to the house, and I got a new tie. Isn't that nice? Father's Day. And, and Lane was helping me open my packages. In fact, she opened all of them, I think. And there inside was this incredible swimming suit. You'll see the tie, you will not see the suit. It multicolored, and I just jumped up, and I, of course, had pants on, and I just started putting that suit on over my pants, pulling it right up, and my three grandkids were just laying on the floor, howling like Indians. It was the funniest sight they'd ever seen. We had a ball. Have fun. Be stupid. They love it. <laughs> Play with them. Share projects with them. As I mentioned last week, we're going to take our two oldest grandsons with us on a trip this summer. Just have them with us. Share with them. Play with them. Don't be ashamed, man, to do that. Little Nathan is down here in the front row. He's six, just turned six. You know, Nathan already prays in the Spirit. Already on his own. He said, I pray at night after Daddy prays with me. I stand in my bed and raise my hands and pray in the Holy Spirit so I won't have bad dreams. We wondered if he really understood what he meant until Lane was sick one Wednesday night and the family gathered to pray for her and he was praying in tongues in that little circle for his little sister. Now that doesn't come about just by accident. That comes about by sitting on the front row in church. That comes about by a father's prayers and a mother's prayers and grandparents' prayers and involvement. I watch people leave this church in between services, carrying their kids, taking them by the hand, leading them away from the church instead of in the Sunday school classes and in the children's church activities. You've got to take time. Involve yourself with those children. Then you must instruct them. Involve and instruct. Here is the scenario that I see so often these days. The child sassing the parents. And then next they talk back to their teachers. And then in church they don't respect the leadership and the teachers of the Sunday school classes. And they kick their feet through walls. You would not believe the damage caused to a building like this by out-of-control kids. Where does it start? It starts with the sassing. No instruction to counteract it. Then it goes to the school and it goes to the church and then finally they run afoul of the law. And the parent calls the church and says, why didn't you do something for my kid? Oh, we get that all the time. It's our fault. We didn't do the job. Hey, 
It's repeated over and over again in our time. The blame lies at the doorstep of the delinquent fathers. And I have no apology in saying that. The job of instructing was not my wife. It was my responsibility. And if my sons didn't get instruction in these areas, it was my fault. Nobody else's. And how do you teach them that? When a certain son that doesn't sit too far from me this morning came home and tried to straighten his mother out, I got him off to the side and I said, Son, I would knock some men flat on the floor if they said to your mother what you just said. I'm giving you just one chance and that's it. The next time you'll be flat on the floor if you speak to her like you just did. You do not talk to your mother in disrespect. Now you go in and apologize to her. I had to go for a certain thing. I said, you be sure that's done by the time I get back. Rick loves to talk about that. <laughs> that's the only time I ever had to talk to him like that in his whole life, by the way. But it was my responsibility. Father instructs them in order to receive the blessing from them. You instruct them in personal skills. You instruct them in spiritual skills. You instruct them in social skills. You know, it's still right to say, I'm sorry and thank you and yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. You know, that's still vogue. Where do they learn that? From a father. Where don't they learn it? From a father. They need to be instructed in these social skills that will enhance their life and make things much more pleasant for them as they journey along the way. So you have involvement, you have instruction, and then you have inspiration. The third thing, you have to inspire your children. We've got so many duds around, they come home at night and they just want to flop in a chair and they push their shoes off and they want service. And they bury their nose behind a newspaper or a magazine and the kids are running everywhere wondering where dad is while he's hiding behind the paper. You've got to inspire them and you don't inspire them by wearing out one lazy boy after another. You have to accept them in spite of the things they do sometimes, you have to accept them. Like the father of the prodigal in Luke 15 who accepted his son, though he didn't appreciate what he had done and the fact he had wasted his substance, he had his arms out for that boy. We never say, I never want to see you again. That's ridiculous. That's what happens sometimes because evidently the parent has been disgraced by the action of the child. Well, where did they learn that? You have to accept them always and approve of them when you can and encourage their wholesome pursuit, whatever that pursuit may be. And it's going to take sacrifice in many cases to get them through college, to get them through the courses that they need for the dream that they have. It's not totally up to them. It's a parent's responsibility to encourage and to help wherever and whenever they can. It never ends. It's constant. My boys did a very nice thing for 
my wife and I on our wedding anniversary a couple Saturdays ago, the 6th of June. They arranged a nice lunch for us down by the river in Sacramento at a nice restaurant. And so we went, and it was lovely. The setting was beautiful. The day was wonderful. The meal was scrumptious. And then the waitress brought the bill, and my son just sat there. And they sat there. And so I paid the bill. Nothing really changes, folks. It was a wonderful invitation. I really appreciated it. But I want you to know some things do not change. Many years ago, near Electra, Texas, an oil well was being dug. It was 180 feet deep and 12 inches wide. During the digging, a child fell into the well. From the depths below, the child's pleas could be heard, Daddy, get me out. Ropes were tied to the father's body, and an effort was made to lower him into the well, but it was to no avail. It was too narrow. Other efforts were made to rescue the child, but everything ended in failure. Fainter and fainter, the child's pleas were heard, Daddy, get me out! Daddy, get me out! Until finally the cries ceased. There was no sound. Later, grab hooks brought to the surface the lifeless form of the little child. Men who had been involved in that rescue attempt sat down and wept like babies. I wish I could end the story differently, but it ends just as I have told it to you. She perished. Her last words were, Daddy, get me out. And when I read that story from Texas, I thought, oh, God, it's much that way. It may not be a well that is going to produce oil, but it's a well of some kind that our kids drop into, that young boys and girls get lost inside of, and their cry is heard, Daddy, get me out. Daddy, get me out, but where is Daddy? He doesn't seem to be available. He doesn't seem to be around. He doesn't seem to be capable to reach down and save that child from that well. And the last cry you hear before a suicide or a drug addiction death or something like that is, Daddy, get me out! And before God someday, daddies will stand there give answer about their family. So busy climbing the corporate ladder. So busy trying to make a living. And our excuse is, but it's for them. They'd rather have you than all the money you could ever make. You're the important one. Fathers are the key to a society. When we lose our fathers, we've lost our society. You've seen the pictures I have, I'm sure, of a father walking in the snow. He's making his way through the snow, and then in behind in the picture is a little tyke who is stretching his feet, trying to get them into the footpath of the father. A fabulous story in a picture. A 
little child trying to walk in father's footsteps. It's natural for them to want to do that. Is it an unnatural thing that my two sons would be preachers? I don't think so, because that's all they've known. Now, God could have called them to do something else, but God called them to do this so we could just be one big happy family. When we get together, we can really talk shop. Rick had been in the ministry for a short time when we got together one day, and he said, Dad, you never told me there were problems in the church. No, we never talked about that. There were too many good things to talk about, and we did not hash garbage at the kitchen sink or at the table when we ate together. We talked about the good things of God, and so they grew up thinking the church was the best place to be. And God's people were the warmest and most wonderful people in the whole world. And they are. That's what I believe. Oh, well, we have some problems sometimes. Not everybody likes me. But my kids didn't know that. And so when God said, Ministry to them, it wasn't a hard thing. They didn't say, no, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to have to do what dad does and go through what dad goes through. When they thought about that, it was all very, very positive. There wasn't any hardness about that. So what kind of footprints are we leaving? What do we think our children say about us to their friends, dads? If they had to complete this sentence, I like my father most for, and then fill it in, what do you suppose they'd say? Or if the wife would have to say, I like my husband most for, what do you suppose she would say? That he works 75 hours a week? Or that he's given us three automobiles to drive, or this big house to live in, or all these clothes? What do you suppose they'd write? If they would have to fill in, I like my father most for, or I like my husband most for, what would they say? I have tried to do the best I could to provide for my family, but I'll never forget the day when we were riding in Ohio and the boys were just little guys and one of them said, let's go to the Dairy Queen, Dad. And I said, honey, we don't have any money. And it was Randy, I remember. He said, Dad, just go down there to that bank. You drive by that window, and they always give you money when you come up to that window. I had to teach him a lesson that day. It wasn't exactly the way it worked. God has been good to us through the years. But what my son said here today is really the heart and soul of it. He didn't talk about the things that I gave him in terms of material things, but what I've tried by the help of God to pour into him by example. Oh, I have failed. If I had it to do over again, I'd do some things different, but I'm sure enjoying the results anyway of what I did right. 
And I thank God for his goodness. In our priorities for next week, men, where do our children fit? Where do our family members fit in? What kind of Christian lives do we want our families to lead, men? Our Father who art on earth, what is thy name? That name will be called before God someday. I pray to God that you will have made an investment in time that will bless you through eternity. If I lose my family, I have lost the most important thing of all. This is Father's Day. America is in dire need of revival. Where does that responsibility lie? In the pulpit? Well, partially, but more importantly, it lies with every man in this congregation. That we rise up to be the men of God we ought to be. That we start taking time for spiritual things and we take time for our families so that we don't lose them in the mire and the mixed up messes of our time. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but train them and bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful Lord's Day and the emphasis that has been established in America for this third Sunday of the month of June to honor fathers. Lord, I thank you for the men of this congregation. What a host of men you have blessed us with. But God, we're not all batting too well. Our averages aren't what they could be. Some of these men have not yet accepted you as Savior and Lord. And God, I pray that today they will make Jesus their choice. Others of them have been putting things ahead of family. And there is rocky, there is a rocky situation before them at their house. Lord, I pray you preserve them, and today may it be a turning point in their whole situation. For all of us, God, help us to take time for the things that really matter and make us men of God. While our heads are bowed and we are in prayer, and before this service ends, could I ask how many of you men here today need to give your hearts to Jesus Christ? You know that if he would call you today, you wouldn't be ready to meet him. Today's a day for men to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Would you allow me the privilege of praying with you as you raise your hand and say, Pastor, today I make that decision. I want Christ in my life. Would you raise it up right now? Thank you, sir. Back there, I see your hand. Thank you. Another over here.
Thank you, another here on my left-hand side. God bless you, men. Thank you for your immediate response. Over on the right, I'm looking, hands over here. Just raise them up. I want to give my life to Jesus. I know I need to do that. I take time today up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you up there. Appreciate that. Others, yes, back here. Thank you. Raise them up. Thank you over here. I see it on my left. Yes, and another on my left. God bless you. Thank God for these men who are responding. How many of you men would have to say today, Pastor, I've got problems, I've got troubles. You may have given your life to Christ, but there are things that you're having to face that are difficult and you need prayer. Would you raise your hand? You want to be honest and fair and you want God's help. Would you raise your hand right now? Say by that hand, I've got needs, Pastor. I need God's help. And I confess that. Yes, yes, yes. Lord Jesus, thank you for...